you are listening to The Social Hotelier Show, a podcast that inspires hoteliers to create meaningful and memorable experiences for their customers in pursuit of their passion. We share our views and experiences relating to hospitality, technological trends, and also relating to humanity. Here is your host, Sam Eric Rutman. Well, welcome. We have a great show today. Uh, I'm pleased to uh, invite one of my favorite guests who is a specialist on restaurant consultancy designs, uh, operation, and also digital marketing, Rohit Shahdev. He has a company called Soho Hospitality uh, based out of Bangkok, but he also operates globally in uh, Europe and also in Middle East. And so let me bring in uh, to Rohit to the discussion and we will continue from there. Hello, Rohit. Thank Good you. to see you. Thank you very much for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's really great that you took the time to join. Uh, so this is Rohit next to me. Uh, I'd like to, first, before we start the discussion, to encourage anyone who, who is watching us from around the world that, uh, to let you know that we are partnered by, for this show by Malta Hotel and Restaurant Association, Mediterranean Tourism Foundation, and a portal called Winning, winning.training. And that's where you can see about all kinds of online courses that uh, the Winning Portal provides, particularly focusing on training for hospitality uh, staff, associates, and also leadership, and any hoteliers who want to brush up their skill. So, but let's get started about uh, Rohit, who is based in Bangkok. Uh, I have a lot of things I want to talk to you about, but uh, considering the uh, the, the limit of time. Uh, one of the things that, of course, I was just watching the news uh, in Europe about France, how, and also in Central Europe, how, and on Malta for that matter, where uh, there, there's no flights coming in. Basically, there's a lockdown, and uh, obviously, the first things that will happen are restaurants will uh, have a really uh, difficult time, and obviously, it's a question of survival. So, could you share and your views about the how? After the, how things have changed once you have high revenues and you could hide a multitude of sins, how is the reality now? What are the things that the restaurants uh, should be focusing on until they are, can get back on their feet? Well, you know, the first thing, um, and, 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 you know, at the end of the day, uh, it's not customers that drive our business. It's the numbers that drive the business. And uh, so it's, it's very, very important, as in every business, to really... Uh, understand how you're going to preserve liquidity. Now, the challenge we have with this COVID pandemic is even here in Thailand, things have been, you know, much um, more complacent than anywhere else in the world. You know, we'd estimated initially that COVID was going to last three months, and we've only went down when it went through a you know one uh, period of lockdown. You're looking at Europe and other places that are now going through their second period. Cases are rising, so. Um, it's very um, the uh, the situation is is very complex um, and it's very difficult to assess you know when things are going to get better. I likened this to a a, a talk I, I was at um, where I, I I listened to a military uh, um, commander uh, who was talking about giving us some advice of how to tackle with COVID. 
And he said, you know, you guys are doing what we do all the time when we're in a, in a, in a, in a war situation. Um, we strategically think about where we're going to attack the enemy. Um, but at the end of the day, we don't really know where the enemy is. Sometimes we don't know who it is and we don't know where he's going to attack us from. So, so the COVID pandemic is, is very similar to, um, you know, what military commanders face when they're in a time of war. Um, we don't know much about the COVID pandemic. We don't know, you know, how it's going to attack us. And we don't have the solutions to it yet. There are some, you know, some good news that's coming up. So, you know, as a restaurateur, the, the, the most important thing is to preserve liquidity. Um, but as an industry, you know, I think we got away a long time uh, without looking at, you know, what really drove our business. Many uh, restaurant, you know, independent restaurants grew out of mom and pop operations. They did very, very well. Revenues were so great. The money was pouring in. And so it didn't really become important for them to look at key performance indicators. Today and going forward, I believe that um, the business will primarily be driven, you know, through an understanding of the key performance indicators that drive our business. And we're going to have to become more efficient and more productive in the way that we do that. So whether it's looking at you know, uh, you know, staff utilization, for example, and making sure we're becoming efficient in that. You know, I don't know if, you know, restaurants were really calculating their food and beverage costs. Everyone said that they were doing it, but were they doing that? You know, um, is there an ability to use ingredients in different types of dishes so that there's less waste? Um, you know, looking at all the, you know, can we reduce our menus so that we're not offering a much larger menu than we did before, um, which would leverage, you know, more uh, lower cost items. Um, are we looking at what sells, what doesn't, what, what sells, what doesn't sells? Are we looking at in a delivery environment, what is which of our foods on our menu are better suited towards delivery, right? If you're going to sell something that, you know, if you're going to sell, you know, prawns for a grilled prawns, for example, you know that once the delivery guys come and pick that up, there's a quality issue because it's not from the oven to the table. So we need to be concerned about those kinds of things because we want to make sure we can maintain the, the quality of our food when it leaves our restaurant and arrives on the plates of our customers, you know, at their, at their homes, for example. So um, there's a lot of implications today. Um, I think that, you know, delivery is one of the big ways to survive. It's the only way to survive. At the high cost. But that, yeah, but that means going to your delivery providers. If you have the, the strength, you know, if we're, we're a multi-restaurant group. So we have a little bit of pull to go to the delivery guys and say, hey, it's COVID. You need to be more fair to your merchants who are supporting your business. And going forward from COVID, it needs to be win-win. And that's what we're preaching to, you know, to the industry today, that if that COVID should have taught us going forward in terms of values that we need to find win-win relationships. And whether it's our suppliers, our customers, or our third third-party delivery providers, whoever it is, we need to find those win-win type relationships um, in order to make it work. And one of the things we did. Um, you know, we have a, a pizza brand called Soho Pizza. We have six outlets. We, we realized that eventually we had to run our own delivery business 
because paying the 20 or 25 or 30 percent, some people are paying 35 percent of their you know revenues um, to you know these delivery providers was not going to work in the long term. So we um, started our own delivery um, because we knew that it was going to be different, difficult from a from a behavior perspective to get people to leave those apps where they can order at a click of a button from many restaurants. But we also knew that it wasn't going to provide for us over the long term. So we set up our own delivery platform. And, you know, you move from the business of being in food to the business of logistics. And that's what's happened to our industry. And that's really, really challenging. So, um, you know, I would I, I would say that we need to look at all the different facets of our business. We need to become more financially driven. We need to be more KPI driven and we need to become more creative going forward. Yeah. I mean, if you're looking at the, at the cost of running a restaurant, not only do you have your maybe the 30% food and beverage cost, you have your staffing cost. And then if you on top of it, then you have your rent. If you don't own the business, uh, the place, and then you have, the commission you have to pay the delivery, so it's really hard to see a margin how you can have how to make it work. But what are the things that you see are uh, things that a, a nimble operation? What are the sort of the tech issues? Because uh, you have some tech background, things that you would uh, uh, recommend and suggest are what you see that they they could look at moving forward and uh, with their business. So you know traditionally. If you looked at hospitality as an industry, you'll see that, you know, the industry was always a laggard when it came to innovation. And today you look at the F&B and what happened to the hospitality industry? They got hit by OTAs and the OTAs hit them so hard that there's no going back. And the OTAs today compromise a significant portion of the demographic of business that's coming in from the distribution channels that come to a hotel. The same thing happened to the restaurant industry. We didn't innovate and we got hit by third party delivery and they are becoming a huge aspect of our business going forward. So traditionally, you know, we have not embraced technology as an industry. And one of the challenges of our industry that's, that's happened is that all of us have POSs, but the POS don't talk to the table management. The table management doesn't talk to the reservation management. The POS doesn't connect to uh, the, the CRM platform. It doesn't connect to the loyalty. I believe that while things are slow right now, the only way we're going to win customers when things come back is that we know our customers well. We got to understand um, and be able to personalize that experience because Customers don't need to go out anymore. They can get the food coming to them, you know? So what are you going to do to lure customers to come out? And I think that personalization is going to be key. Now, personalization is, is a human-centric uh, 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 task. It, it's enabled by humans providing a personalized service. But it can also be enabled by, by tech because tech is an enabler in that sense. To tech won't provide the service. But the tech will tell you that Sam Eric has spent this much at my restaurant. He comes on these days. He loves a Hendrix tonic. He's a vegetarian. He is, you know, and the more data we gather about Sam, the next time Sam comes to dine to our restaurant, we can 
really improve and use that enabler as technology to provide Sam a better personalized service. So, so tech is the enabler for us to be able to do better at collecting data because we've had access to data for the longest time. You go to a restaurant and you ask them what they know about their customers and they know have only their phone number and their email address. Yeah. <laughs> and it's nice. true. You go to talk to and and because we've, we 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 the t- we as an industry we've not had the we we've not been provided the tools from the tech um, industry and neither have we been able to go out there and and create the tools because we lack the knowledge and the know-how but the go- but going forward i believe the restaurant business will become a tech enabled business um, I'm seeing a significant amount of innovation come into the industry. Um, and, and so there's, there's a lot of that that's happening today. Um, I'm seeing tools where, um, you know, you can also take a customer. So we have a tool that we use where um, we can take customer feedback uh, forms that they fill at our restaurant. We can set preset uh, uh, KPIs that we thresholds that we expect uh, from those um, uh, um, reviews. And if they give any reviews anywhere below those thresholds, we get alerts. So I'll get an alert if it's really bad. I want to see those alerts as well. My managers will get an alert and the COOs get an alert. And that way we can d- implement service recovery right away as opposed to waiting. Because when somebody has a bad delivery, you know, he's already, you know, upset. And, and what happens is he's unable to get hold of you know the the restaurants right away to make that complaint because the third party delivery guys want you to make the complaint directly to them and they're teller ter- terrible at customer service so we found ways in which we can become quicker in terms of uh meeting the needs of our customers uh so that we can handle you know complaints orders through the telephone and things like that and and these are things that we're going to need to become better at because there's so many ways in which they're reaching us. They can reach us through Facebook Messenger. They can reach us through Instagram. They can reach us through WhatsApp. They can reach us through, you know, other uh, uh, other platforms. And we have to be ready to, and the, and the service level expectations of when we need to answer them has become less and less. Yeah. So the notion of Fulfillment becomes a huge issue in our industry because fulfillment doesn't just mean putting food on a plate. Fulfillment means waiting for the food to arrive at the customer's home, making sure they've received it properly, making sure if they if, if there was a problem with the order, we're able to address it. Uh, I'd like to find out from Bohit his ideas of how to find a new customer with the tech and the digital space because you're also doing the uh, marketing agency side. So if you could address a little bit about the that part, which I think uh, there's a lot of uh, value you can provide for restaurants who may have not understand uh, the opportunity they have to reach out to new customers uh, for the future. So, so there's 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 two um, elements there um, in terms of in terms of uh, uh, reaching reaching out to new customers, and one is is looking at consumer behavior and how that behavior has evolved. Um, and that's very, very significant. Um, so, you know, back in, you know, over the last 10 years, we've, we've realized that we needed experience in, in, in everything that we did. And we started with hospitality. We said we needed 
hotels needed to become experiential. And then we said um, restaurants need to become more experiential. Then we said, why, what, what about you know, condominiums and residences? They need to become more experiential. Then we started having branded residences. Now, malls are experiential. You go to a salon to get a, get a haircut um, you know, or do your nails, and that's become experiential. So it's a real given today in the industry that you know, we need to create great experiences. But the big brother of experience and what takes precedence today um, is authenticity. And that's really what's being driven by millennials and Gen Zs, who are a very young but very influential group of consumers who are coming into the world at a time in which uh, they're dealing with, you know, climate change, right wing movements, Donald Trump. You know, the, the opportunities for them to find employment are tough, are difficult. The ability for them to acquire assets and wealth are much more challenging as prices of goods and services and assets and apartments and things like that are more expensive. And they have been the consumer demographic that has led us from, you know, moving from, you know, experience to authenticity. So, so what does that really mean? So there was a survey done recently where um, millennials and Gen Zs were asked, you know, what was it that they wanted to see out of their brands? And they said that they wanted to see um, more information about, you know, what what brands, how how brands were engaging in, in a sense of self, a sense of purpose. How were brands going to make their lives better? So it's not just about Soho Hospitality making great food and, and and serving restaurants, but what is Soho Hospitality going to do to make the planet better? Um, to to do whatever we we would to to. To, to have a sense of purpose. The second thing they said is that in terms of authenticity, they wanted to see brands being represented by real people and not celebrities. So it's great to have Brad, Brad Pitt, you know, hold an iPhone and, and, and say, you know, I'm Brad Pitt, use an iPhone. But wouldn't it be better if we had that brand represented by somebody who is just a normal person like us? And likes the phone because it's got normal, usual, you know, normal features that a, another human being would use. And then they said they wanted to see um, more things about like, what was the brand doing behind the scenes in terms of engagement? So today, what takes center stage is, is authenticity. And it's about delivering a genuine service. It's about making sure if you're going to serve, um, you know, that that pad thai, it's the pad thai you're going to serve that has the same ingredients as you would get on the streets of Bangkok. And it's, it's really about being real, being genuine um, when, you're, when you're dealing with your customers, because today the other whole notion is that there's a lot of fake stuff going around. We don't even know what's real anymore. So my, my father, who's an 81-year-old man, the other day posted something on a chat with my, with my nieces and, you know, I hadn't even looked at what my dad posted and all my nieces came out and said, Nana, that's fake. Don't post that. I hope you didn't share it with anyone. So there's that whole notion of today where we're almost having to question whether something is real or not. And so the future and the big brother of, of, of experience is authenticity. And that is a huge thing, whether you're a restaurant brand, a hotel brand or whatever. I would say one of the key messages from a marketing standpoint um, is really making sure that we can deliver that 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 brand or that experience with authenticity. Yeah. 
I like what you said about that, uh, uh, that people want to know who is behind the brand, who owns the brand, and what are their values, and, and why should I invest in that brand if I don't know, know the brand at all? So I think that's a very, very valid point. And it kind of leads me to, a, uh, to something which I, I've been looking at the Instagram, Instagram TV channels quite a bit, and I was impressed with certain, what some certain chefs were uh, getting involved with. They, they started to, uh, when the restaurants were closed, I think it was Massimo Bottura in Italy, he started to do, uh, from his kitchen, with his uh, wife was next to him and, and his son, and he was starting to cook sort of the, the lunch and, and explain it to everyone and having a, a live discussion with his tens of thousands of viewers, of course, about uh, uh, what he was cooking and it was about the everyday discussion. And I, I'm told that whenever you go to a restaurant where he's working, he has a tendency to go out and talk to his clients or his customers and having the same discussion as he had online. I mean, that, that's a lesson to be learned about anyone that when you talk about the authentic experience and carrying it over then to the digital space, that's a very powerful message you can do. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. The other, um, I, I, think, I think a lot of these fine dining restaurants, you know, that, that's one of the things I, I said a long time ago, I called the death of the fine dining. <laughs> and, I, and, 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 and it's true, I'm seeing it here. The, the chef Garima who owns Ga, she was ran a five, she was she was best chef at Asia's fifty best restaurants last year. She was the best fem, won the FEMA best female chef award. She had a fine dining restaurant called Ga. Today she's opening an Indian canteen. It's called a canteen. It's not opened yet, but it's going to be nowhere near fine dining. So all these chefs who were in the traditional fine dining game, some of them never even embraced uh, technology and Facebook because they didn't need to do it. They felt that they, this was a game for the social dining, casual dining restaurants, fast food guys. They didn't need to have a conversation using technology with their customers. I'm seeing all these brands drop their prices and they're leveraging technology because they've been hit really, really hard. So seeing that these chefs are being creative, I think it's fantastic. But the, but the pandemic has hit the reset button on the entire industry and also hit a reset button the mostly on the fine dining industry which has taken the biggest hit. And, um, you know, I expect that to stay. I, some of these fine dining restaurants may get into casual social dining and they may never get back. I mean, um, Rene Redzepi turned Noma into a burger joint, charging $18 burgers. That's know? a nice burger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I'm sure it was a great burger. I wish I, if I could get out of Bangkok and not be stuck here, I would, I would go and try one of those. But, but you, you have to be creative. You have to... Do you have to trial and error, you yeah. know? And, and I think the other, the other thing, coming back to what we were talking about before in terms of behavior, um, there was a study done by McKenzie. Um, and this is another thing I want to leave with, you know, from a behavior standpoint, marketing standpoint. There was a study done by McKenzie, which showed that before COVID, um, it was 60% of people dining at home, sorry, at out, dining out and 40% dining at home. They said post-COVID, it was 45% dining at home and 55% dining out. Sorry, 55% dining at home and 45% dining out. And they said that even though the COVID pandemic would go away, they thought that dining at home, the percentage that in, there would be a, a loss of dining out revenues from people who just are enjoying dining at home, saving money, 
enjoying inviting their friends to come home. And just that behavioral change because of the COVID pandemic would be here to stay post-COVID. They said that that would be a $50 billion loss to the U.S. dining industry. So how does that affect behavior? Dine, the definition of dining today is staying home, getting your phone, choosing your favorite restaurant, and having that restaurant come to you. So what is, the, what is dining out? Dining out is entertainment. Restaurants are going to have to have an entertainment value to what they offer so that they can get me out of my pajamas into some nice clothes and want me to go out. You're going to need more than just food, beverage, a nice ambience and service to get people to go out. And the answer to that $50 billion loss is what I call dining is entertainment. Yeah. That's another behavioral shift I see in the market. Sure. Now, for all the viewers, now, if you enjoy the show, uh, and please put in some comments or questions for Rohit. I think uh, he would appreciate uh, any comments or uh, even we love the social currency, as a, a thumbs up that, that we know that you are joining us, but also that you write in where you are viewing from. I think it would be interesting to know uh, from what town or from what country you are viewing us today. Now, you have a chance to uh, know more about these things if you go to to one of our partners who is called the Winning Travel, that's uh, Winning Training. So that's the portal Winning Training, where you can learn more about different online courses. These are also for restaurant employees, for people who want to learn more about hospitality. Uh, but what today we have from Rohit is more of a masterclass of, uh, of, uh, on the high level, which you learn about how, how he has seen the restaurant scene developing and also the uh, trends uh, moving forward. Uh, and you mentioned about uh, the fine dining is dying, uh, dying, and I think I see some of that. And one of the things what I have noticed is that uh, there, are, there are chefs who do not have a kitchen anymore of their own, or they don't have a restaurant of their own, but they're putting in a pop-up restaurant, a pop-up event in somebody else's restaurant for, for maybe the weekend. And the way it's promoted now uh, is through the, the food bloggers who are then soliciting this idea to, the, to their followers. And that's how they are booking maybe the, a, a two-day event in one particular restaurant with this one particular chef. But of course, he, ha he is well known in the industry. And so that is something I haven't seen before in Finland, but that's something which is very pop popular nowadays. Um, have you seen any of that at, at wherever you are? Sure. So we, so, so we have a Cuban bar called Havana Social. And every Wednesday, we do a takeover. We invite, a, it's, a, it's a cocktail bar, and every Wednesday we invite one of the Asia 50 best rest, uh, bars in Bangkok, there are several of them, um, and other you know, well-known uh, uh, mixologists. We invite them to come to our bar, and from 8 p.m. to midnight, we serve their drinks. We charge the customer um, for their drinks at our bar, and it's called a takeover. And um, I think you know, whether you call it a pop-up or a takeover, the reset button made a, a lot of people drop their egos about what can be done and what can't be done in the industry. You know, we, and, and I think we also realized that, at least from my perspective as a company that's in this business, I'm happy to help somebody as well as help myself. I think it's in the spirit of um, being in the industry 
for us to uh, look at collaborations. And I've seen this happen not only for restaurants, bars, um, but I'm seeing collaborations happen in terms of nightclubs, in terms of, um, you know, one nightclub with another nightclub. Um, there, there's a lot of this type of collaborations going on. Uh, we did an event at our Indian restaurant, Charcoal, where we brought a chef who worked with Charcoal because ours is a grill restaurant. And we used his techniques with our Indian spices to create an event. And it's called Charcoal X Series, where we collaborate with other chefs who work with charcoal. So I think, I think these are, at the end of the day, these are exciting things that are coming up. And the customer wins, right? The customer has um, a lot more choices. And the other thing I'm seeing also is restaurants are organizing more and more events because they're dealing with a, you know, like in Thailand, we're, we have a loss of 40 million tourists that are not here per annum. And that's a huge demographic of business that, that we're able to leverage. So we know we only have the same pot of customers, pool of customers to, to deal with. And we have to find new ways of bringing them back in our restaurants. And events is a great way. So yeah. we're seeing in our industry and in Thailand alone, a very competitive events industry popping up where when we're trying to put on events, we have to look at other conflicting events because everybody is moving from being a restaurant um, business to an events business and leveraging some of these collaborations. And I think that is the way to go. And it's happening. Thailand is a place where I think it's a leader in the segment. They're doing tons of collaborations. And that's where I also feel like innovation is coming from the East. I don't think this is happening in the West as much as it's happening in the East. And we're, we're a leader in that segment of, of events and execution and creativity. And I think it's fantastic for the industry. And most of all, the customer wins. Well, excellent, excellent. I, I share with you, I mean, uh, having lived a few years in, in, in the East, so I have a, have a tendency to uh, look at uh, particularly Thailand uh, as a place where uh, probably one of the most sophisticated diners anywhere, where we used to drive miles and miles just to get that favorite uh, pad thai or, uh, or, or the dish, which uh, willing to drive across the town through traffic just to get there. So, I mean, uh, this is sort of a, people have a very sophisticated taste there. Uh, and, and I think now when you mention about the events, that really is something that uh, is something very, very, very good point. You talked about the fine dining is dining, dying. And I, I, I'm sure that uh, raised a lot of eyebrows in, in some certain circles. But <laughs> let's talk about the smart casual dining, the, the way things which are happening. Uh, how do you see it, particularly with your your different brands and, and where do you see the future with that smart casual dining? So people are frustrated wherever it is, Thailand, Helsinki, Europe, America, people are frustrated. They're tired of the pandemic. We just found out it was one year ago yesterday that the first person got that got the COVID died from the COVID pandemic. And people, the whole notion of escapism takes center stage. So the reason I said fine dining is dead, I, 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 this is now no disrespect to the amazing fine dining chefs out there. The fine dining industry will stay, but it's taken the biggest hit. Some of it won't come back because the behavior of the chefs who are doing fine dining will change. It may be monetary reasons that they change cash flow constraints. It may be because they see a sweet spot elsewhere. But I do believe the impact on the fine dining industry will be severe and, and a lot of it will be to stay. 
But because of the customers looking towards this sense of escapism, I want to go somewhere where I don't need to think about it, about, you know, my troubles and my problems. I want to escape somewhere. You know, they're going to look for places that are what I call fun social dining establishments, place where there's a great buzz, there's a great food, people are having fun. There's a really good music playing in the background. There may be an, an element of entertainment where people are dining during dinner and it turns into a club after hours. I really believe that the future of dining as customers also become more and more sophisticated and escapism takes center stage along, along with authenticity, I believe they're going to want to go to a place that serves really, really good, authentic food, but in an environment where they can have fun and entertainment. And I believe the best restaurants that are going to be able to provide that are going to be the, the restaurants in the smart social fun dining category. Uh, you mentioned the various brands that you have in, in this smart casual dining scene. Uh, those uh, concepts, am I correct, they are, they are born out of Bangkok or out of Thailand? Or how, 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 how did you come up with those concepts? So I lived in New York City for 10 years. Um, but I always believed that Thailand being a food capital of the world and the way things were changing in terms of there was no longer a lag of consumer behavior between the East and the West. And, and I really believed that innovation was going to come out of the East. And so I really believe that we could, at Soho Hospitality, we could create innovative, you know, local Thai brands. Now, when I say Thai, I don't mean good enough for Thailand, but I'm talking about brands born out of Thailand, which were going to go and compete and bang on with the big brands in the West. And I'm very proud that after um, opening, uh, 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 five very successful brands. We have a Peruvian Japanese rooftop bar called Above Eleven. Uh, it was the first Peruvian restaurant in Southeast Asia and, and Asia. And I opened that in 2012 before Europe and America knew Peruvian food was going to be hot. In 2012, I opened the first Peruvian restaurant in Asia. Then I opened an Indian restaurant called Charcoal, which had no curries um, and only does, you know, kebabs and cocktails. And then we did Havana Social, which was the first Cuban bar in Thailand, the only place Latin music. We have the only rum bar in Thailand as well at the time in which we opened. Then I opened uh, a pizza grab-and-go outlet called Soho Pizza. Um, and then an Italian trattoria called Cantina. And all of those brands today are, are traveling internationally. We opened Above Eleven in Bali, now opening with Marriott in Dubai. Havana Social's opening in Yangon, Ho Chi Minh City, Singapore. So, you know, I've always believed that innovation um, could happen, you know, in Asia. And I'm very proud that we've created brands that we believe are um, able to travel and, and they are now traveling. And they're based on the same sentiments that I'm sharing with you. They're about authenticity. They're about fun social dining. They are about unpretentiousness. We don't, we, we somebody who's got, who's affluent, loves to dine at our restaurant. Somebody who's upper middle class loves to dine at our restaurant and somebody in, in, in the lower middle class may like to dine at our restaurant every once in a while. And they're all sitting at separate tables and having a great experience because we deliver value, a value for money proposition. And that is also authenticity. Yeah. So it's not only about authenticity of the experience, but 
It's about the 10 planets that I, that I feel make a great restaurant. It's interior design, lighting, brand development, the food and beverage, the food, the beverage, the cocktails, the music, the service, you know, and, and all these other things that, that, that come together to deliver a great experience. And those are, those are like my, my, my 10 planets. And it's about creating concepts that encompass all of those elements and making sure they all come together seamlessly to deliver a great authentic experience. As a concept creator, is that something you're, you're, you're dreaming over a glass of wine uh, in, in the privacy of your home? Or are, are you looking around what's going on and, and collecting those vibes and then formulate uh, this, uh, put the, the magic cocktail together, which becomes the concept? Can you describe a little bit how you work when you develop the concepts? So number one, I know what makes people tick. And I don't, I don't think about creating gimmicks because gimmicks don't last. And, I, and, I, and I'm really not a fan of gimmicky things. I like creating things that last. And so I always think about the consumer and the customer journey. And as an interior designer, because we started out as an interior designer before we got into uh, our own food and beverage uh, brands and operations, we literally map out the customer journey. What is the customer sense of arrival? You know, what does he see when he arrives? What is his first um, impression? And we really look at the customer journey as he navigates through the restaurant and, and, and experiences some of the things. So I'll give you an example. At our, at our bar, Havana Social, it's a Cuban bar celebrating Havana in the 1940s when it was the Las Vegas of the Caribbean, when Ernest Hemingway was there, JFK, Rita Hayward. We've got old transistor radios in the men's and women's toilets playing Fidel Castro revolutionary experiences. We've had that for five years. And anytime somebody walks into the Havana social restroom, they come out with a huge smile and go and, and walk to our staff and say, is that Fidel that you guys are playing? That's just an element, an example of the little things that we do to touch the sensitivities and delight, surprise our customers in a delightful way. And, and that's hospitality, right? And it's about layering all those elements on top of another, all the 10 elements that I spoke about and making sure you give attention to detail to everything. And most of all that you have fun doing it and you love what you do. And that, that's what makes it, makes it work, right? You're going to put all your heart into that particular project. And that's how we've been successful. I opened an Indian restaurant with no curries. Everyone told me, you're going to fail. How can you have an Indian restaurant with no curries? And I did it. And you know what? Before COVID pandemic, we were the number one performing Indian restaurant in Bangkok and I served no curries. But if you came to my restaurant and you tried my kebabs, you would say that you never eaten kebabs like that. You didn't know India made such great kebabs. Then we tied it with cocktails and we came up with these amazing cocktails that all have Indian spices in them. And we created a lot of flair and, and, and fun with those. You know, and, 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 that, and, and, that, and that's the whole notion of fun social dining. But it's not about creating gimmicks. I hate gimmicks. They don't last. They're silly. You laugh for one second. The second time you see it, you're, it's already over. I don't believe in that. I believe in creating things that last. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I think that, I think that the anecdote you talked about uh, of the Cuban bar and those things that you put in there uh, are something that people remember. Uh, if they remember a few things about the place, might be just small things that are creating that uh, 
memorable experience and the, it doesn't have to be the human interaction even. It can be just some small thing that makes a difference and it's not gimmicky, it's just something that uh, touched them for that moment or that evening when they were there. And I think, and I, but, I, but, but the one thing I don't sh- want to shy away from because I think this is really important. There's a lot of new schools of thoughts who say, oh, food's not important anymore. I go to, I, you know, people are going to restaurants because they want to see other people. They like the ambience. The music is good. I'm very old school from that perspective. If it is the food is not good, I don't care how beautiful the women are at that restaurant. I will not go back. Yeah. The food and the service are not good. I will not go back. So we have to remember, we go to restaurants to eat when we want good service. Those elements, I don't care how much trends have evolved or will evolve. I'm old school from that perspective that the food still takes center stage in a restaurant. And we focus on delivering great, authentic food. You know, that's, that, that's still the center of everything that we do. And then we build around that with all the other elements that I spoke about. Very good. Okay, on that note, Rohit, thank you very much for joining me today. Now, if people who want to find out more about, about Soho Hospitality and what kind of services you're providing, where can they find you? Um, you can uh, email me directly if you like. Uh, my email address, I love to hear uh, from people and connect uh, with uh, like-minded people from the industry, so it'd be a pleasure. Um, my email address is rohit at sohohospitality.com. Our company name is Soho Hospitality, S-O-H-O-H-O-S-P-I-T-A-L-I-T-Y.com. And uh, we, are, we are an interior designer, F&B consultant, restaurant operator, and we provide digital marketing for the hospitality industry in Asia, Australia, uh, uh, Australasia, Middle East, and Europe. I'm happy to, um, if we can provide our services, or if you just like to exchange ideas, I'm truly happy to do that as well. Thank you very much, Sam. Yeah, thank you very much, Rohit. And also for all the viewers now, I'd like to thank you very much for joining us today uh, on, on this uh, Hospitality Insight. And I'd like to uh, also thank our partners of uh, uh, Malta Hotel and Restaurant Association, Winning, which is a winning.training portal, and uh, uh, Mediterranean Tourism Foundation, and Visit Malta, and the uh, Ministry of Tourism of Malta for providing this opportunity to bring guests for, from around the world to share their experiences and the inspiration, how we can move forward from these very uh, challenging times. Thanks for joining us this week on the Social Hotelier Show. Make sure to visit our website, b8bhospitality.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes or Spotify, so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we appreciate rating on iTunes, or if you simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us too. Be sure to tune in for our next episode.